This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on the final day of the 2021 legislative session, the day lawmakers will approve their new budget and head home. Uh, it's a lot. Totals uh, $101.5 billion, which is a 10.1% increase over the current year. But they'll be back in a couple of weeks for a special session on gambling, so don't pop the cork in that champagne just yet. A bill setting new standards for law enforcement officers is on its way to the governor. It's their response to the Black Lives Matter movement and the murder of George Floyd. But members of the Black Caucus say this is only the beginning. It's good, but it just does not go far enough. I think there is one thing that we all can agree on, that we need to come together in a bipartisan manner to do true police reform. LGBTQ advocates are heartbroken over what they see as betrayal in the legislature. They were told a bill banning transgender kids from high school and college athletics was dead. It wasn't, and the bill is on its way to the governor for signature. The entire legislative process was done in darkness. It was done deliberately to prevent people who are directly impacted from speaking out. The ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center are asking the governor to veto the transgender bill. And there's a group called Food and Water Watch that's also asking Ron DeSantis to veto three bills that preempt the authority of cities and counties to set their own energy policies. And what brings us all here today is the Florida state legislature's insistence on taking away power from local governments and Floridians. One of the heroes of Florida's fight against COVID-19 is stepping down today. Jared Moskowitz has run the Division of Emergency Management since DeSantis became governor. He's a graduate of Stoneman Douglas High, and Moskowitz says the massacre at Parkland convinced him government really can make a difference. It made me realize how important it is for government to work in crisis. It is the sole reason why when the governor offered me the job, I took the opportunity to come to the division. It's because of what I went through in Parkland and what I thought I could do here when people needed government. Today on Sunrise, our exit interview with Director Moskowitz. We'll also have your calendar of events and the story of a Florida man accused of smuggling drugs into the Pinellas County Jail inside his artificial leg. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, April 30th. This is National Military Brats Day, which frankly surprised me because I'm an Air Force brat and never heard of this. Do you know the average military brat changes schools six times before they graduate from high school? That's what happens when your parental units are transferred to a different base every two or three years. This is also National Bugs Bunny Day and National Hairball Day. On this date in 1562, Jean Rabot arrived in Florida at the mouth of the St. John's River with three ships and 150 people people with orders to establish the first French colony in North America. It did not go well. In 1789, George Washington was inaugurated as the first president of the U.S. And on this date in 1945, Adolf Hitler and his new wife, Eva Braun, committed suicide in the Fuhrer bunker as the Red Army captured Berlin. Florida's Department of Health reported 5,666 new cases of COVID Thursday, along with 55 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 35,777. 
Welcome to the final day of the 2021 legislative session. They're passing bills left and right, and it may take a few days to figure out exactly what they've done. The most important task on the final day is to pass the new budget, and House Appropriations Committee Chairman Jay Trumbull of Panama City says it's a whopper thanks to all that COVID cash from the feds. Uh, it's a lot. Totals uh, $101.5 billion, which is a 10.1% increase over the current year. Uh, most of this increase is related to $6.9 billion uh, in uh, federal funds that the state has received and for the federal share of spending for the highest Medicaid caseload in Florida's history. Uh, we also uh, have a significant amount of funds for our public schools to continue to stay open and serve Florida's children and provide educational services and resources that address the impact of COVID-19 pandemic in our state's children and youth. The budget leaves an excess of $6 billion in reserves to ensure that Florida is prepared today for a better tomorrow. We made a commitment when we started session to have a structurally balanced budget, uh, and we've honored that commitment. We worked hard to balance the short-term areas of concern and long-term needs of our state. We make good, smart, good government investments in, into programs that provide lasting benefits for generations. This includes unprecedented infrastructure funding, record investments into beach renourishment, manatees, bonuses for teachers and frontline workers, and significant investments for our developmentally disabled and elderly. The budget provides $6.7 billion in the back of the bill as a part of the contingent, which is contingent on receipt of the state's portion of the federal coronavirus state fiscal recovery funds. These funds will be invested in large-scale environment and infrastructure programs as Florida continues its economic recovery in the COVID-19 pandemic. The House budget shows our members' commitment to our environment, our families, and our communities. This balanced budget reflects our belief that the state should not spend more than it takes in and make strategic investments in Florida's future. Lawmakers have to wait 72 hours after the budget is published before they can vote, which means it will be 12.06 this afternoon before they can do that. That means there's plenty of time to wrap up before the midnight deadline. The Florida Senate has approved a bill to do a better job policing law enforcement. Senator Randolph Bracey of Orlando says House Bill 7051 contains many elements suggested by members of the Legislative Black Caucus in response to the murder of George Floyd and the protests of the Black Lives Matter movement. HB 7051 makes several changes to requirements for the operations and standards of law enforcement and correctional agencies and the training of law enforcement officers, correctional officers and correctional probation officers. An applicant for officer employment must disclose any pending investigation of the applicant and any separation or resignation from pre previous criminal justice employment while under investigation. Also, the prospective employer's background investigation of the applicant must include the facts and reasons for any previous separations from private or public employment. The bill also requires the Criminal Justice Standards and Training Commission to develop basic skills training and each law enforcement or correctional agency to develop policies on use of force. This includes proportional use of force, de-escalation techniques, and other use of force alternatives and limits on use of chokeholds. Basic skills training and policies must also include the duty to intervene in incidences involving use of excessive force. Also, recognizing and appropriately responding to a person with substance abuse disorder or mental illness. The bill also requires law enforcement agencies to have policies regarding use of force investigations that include an independent review. 
It also requires each law enforcement agency to report to FDLE on a quarterly basis use of force incidences that result in serious bodily injury, death, or discharge of a firearm at a person. And finally, the bill prohibits a child younger than seven from being arrested, charged, or adjudicated delinquent unless the violation is a forcible felony. Senator Daryl Roussan of St. Petersburg says the bill does not go far enough to address all of their concerns, but it's a start. There may be some concern that this bill does not go far enough, but it's a great step forward. And I think that there are those who will look at this and say that with the summer of unrest after the George Floyd murder, we needed to do substantial criminal justice reform. This is a good start. It gives us a foundation to build upon for next session. And we should tell the world, keep watching. And Senator Chevron Jones of Miami Gardens says they'll have to do this again next year if they want to get it right. It's good, but it just does not go far enough. We, we don't have to rehash uh, a lot of the things that was already said, but it is clear that what we saw uh, last summer when it came to George Floyd and the justice for Breonna Taylor and other situations that have happened to this country, I think there is one thing that we all can agree on, that we need to come together in a bipartisan uh, manner to do true police uh, reform. What we don't see in here today when we're talking about police reform is ending qualified immunity, in banning uh, no-knock warrants, banning racial and religious profiling, and creating a national database of police misconduct. Uh, and these are some of the things that we as a body can look at together uh, next year. The police standards bill passed the Senate unanimously. In fact, there wasn't a single vote against it in the entire legislature. So now it's up to the governor. LGBTQ advocates who thought they had defeated a controversial bill to ban transgender athletes in high school and college say they've been hoodwinked and betrayed by Republicans in the legislature. The House approved the bill earlier in the session, but two weeks ago, the sponsor of the Senate version said it wasn't going to happen. Then the House added a transgender amendment to a completely unrelated bill on charter schools, and the Senate played along, so it's a done deal. Activist Lakey Love spent some time crying about that reversal of fortune. A backroom deal full of hate targeted at the most vulnerable uh, population of people in the state of Florida, namely uh, transgender, intersex and gender nonconforming youth with a targeted attack that prevents transgender girls and intersex youth from playing on sports teams. This is a bill that we thought we had killed and watched as leadership, GOP leadership, sort of bent the rules and made the rules their own in order to amend a charter school bill, a larger bill, education bill about the privatization of education and add an attack on trans youth. Carrie Boyd with the Southern Poverty Law Center says the whole thing stinks and the governor should veto the bill, which frankly is not likely to happen. The entire legislative process was done in darkness. It was done deliberately to prevent people who are directly impacted from speaking out. There were some assurances the bill would not be coming back this session, but I think those of us on this call and those of us watching have known that those promises would most likely fall short. And here we are. I'm just very sickened. I'm mad as hell about this because it's just the carefully constructed chipping away of civil rights. And 
I stand with you today, ready to take action, ready to call upon the governor to not sign this bill, to make a stand and to do the right thing. It may fall on deaf ears. It probably will. For what many see as a fast political win, this is very personal to the rest of us. Kara Gross with the ACLU of Florida says the transgender ban is illegal, and they anticipate a legal challenge once the governor signs it. It is despicable and cruel that certain House members devised an end run around our legislative process to pass this hateful bill. Transgender girls have the right to participate in sports just like everyone else. To ban transgender girls from playing on a team with other girls is discrimination based on transgender status and sex in violation of the United States Constitution and Title IX of the Civil Rights Act. The marginalization and humiliation of trans student athletes harms young people and helps no one. This unconstitutional bill is a solution in search of a problem. There is no evidence that there is any widespread problem in our state concerning transgender girls participating in sports. It is beyond offensive for the bill sponsors to call this bill pro-women. There is nothing pro-women or pro-girl about a bill based on categorical gender stereotyping and blanket statements about girls being the weaker sex and men naturally dominating over women. The bill sponsor's rhetoric brings us back to the 1950s. These anti-trans bills have no place in Florida and no place in America. The House violated its own rules by adopting the transgender amendment because it had nothing to do with the subject of the bill, which was charter schools. The Germanity provision, Rule 12.8, says the House shall not consider a floor amendment that relates to a different subject or is intended to accomplish a different purpose than that of the pending question. Opponents challenged the amendment on the House floor. They raised a point of order, but the rules chairman ignored the plain language of the bill, the amendment, and the Germanity rule and said, hey, everything's just hunky-dory. Environmental advocates want the governor to veto three other bills that have already passed the legislature. Michelle Allen is with Food and Water Watch. That's a non-governmental organization that focuses on corporate and government accountability relating to food, water, and corporate overreach. Her problem is preemption. So on Earth Day, the Florida legislature advanced a dangerous suite of energy preemption legislation. The state legislature has passed three of these energy preemption bills. They sit with Governor DeSantis, awaiting his signature or his veto. And we are here today calling on the governor to veto these energy preemption bills. The energy preemption bills represent the worst of the worst. They are the nation's leading legislation to curtail the transition away from fossil fuels, and they do so at the expense of frontline communities. By preempting local control on energy, these bills ensure that city and county leaders and community members are gonna have no power over how their own communities move towards renewable energy and away from dirty fossil fuels. Uh, clearly the theme of the 2021 Florida legislative session is taking power away from Floridians and consolidating it within the legislature. Governor DeSantis has a choice with the energy preemption bills. We urge him here to do the right thing and veto these preemption bills and ensure communities are empowered to make their own renewable energy plans. There's almost no chance the governor will veto any of those bills, but there's no harm in asking, right?
Congrats to former Florida Senator Bill Nelson, who has been unanimously confirmed by the Senate to run NASA. His nomination as administrator was somewhat controversial within the industry because of past criticisms about commercial spaceflight. But during his confirmation hearing, Nelson made it clear he wants to support NASA's relationship with the private sector. Back in 1986, when he chaired the House Committee that controlled NASA's budget, Nelson enjoyed the ultimate congressional junket, a ride into space on board shuttle Columbia. He's also an old pal of President Joe Biden, which should bode well for NASA's future budgets. State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed drops another video bomb on the governor and his Republican allies in the legislature. This is from her new video on YouTube, where she calls out the values of Republican leaders and urges voters to hashtag drop the GOP. Listen, nobody is born a Republican, Democrat, or Independent. We choose based on our values. But if you look at the values of elected Republicans, you'll see why more and more people are just done. Republicans are trying to kill vote by mail, overturn elections, suppress votes, and even block stimulus checks, parental tax credits, and job-creating infrastructure and climate projects. It's not a party anymore. It's a hot mess descending into fascism. So for all the everyday Republicans with American values, it's time. Drop the GOP. Commissioner Freed is not an official candidate for governor yet, but it's only a matter of time. After running the Division of Emergency Management for more than two years, Jared Moskowitz is calling it quits. This is his final day as Florida's master of disasters. The former state lawmaker from Parkland crossed party lines to work for the governor and earned rave reviews, shaking up the emergency management agency to get more aid to the panhandle in the aftermath of Hurricane Michael, and then serving as point man for the state when it was time to scrounge for protective gear in the early days of the pandemic, setting up all the testing centers, and then organizing the state's vaccination distribution system. But it was the mass shooting at his alma mater, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, that set the stage for what was to come. It's been an honor of a lifetime to serve um, the you know residents of Florida, the state, in what is probably our darkest hour. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know why it is, but you know, my last couple of years, I found myself at the center of two of Florida's greatest disasters. One in in what happened in the city of Parkland, in my hometown of Parkland and my high school, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, and then to take the job for a governor of the opposite political party to then wind up with the greatest disaster in Florida history just a year and a half later. But listen, I, I think, not I think, I know I gave this everything uh, I have. I sacrificed my own, my own family uh, to try to save as many lives as I could here uh, in the state of Florida every single solitary day, 24 hours a day, thinking about it when I woke up, thinking about it when I went into bed and having Groundhog Day and doing the same thing over and over and over again for over 415 days. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity uh, and I hope that uh, all that hard work made a difference. Now, of course, you became known as Jared Maskowitz on your Twitter feed, and uh, a lot of folks are saying you probably saved the lives of more Floridians than any other individual. Pretty heady stuff there, isn't it? Well, uh, you know, listen, um, I, I was there at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas within hours of the shooting. Uh, I saw what it looked like when 17 people go to school and they don't come home that day. I saw what it looked like when I had to be in the room with these parents as they found out that their kid was dead on the second or third floor. I, I went to these funerals where they, they had to put their baby in the ground. Um, there was never anything before then, and there has never been anything since that I have witnessed that is as real and as gut-wrenching, and it makes you, it made me realize then how important it is 
for government to work in crisis. It is the sole reason why when the governor offered me the job, I took the opportunity to come to the division. It's because of what I went through in Parkland and what I thought I could do here when people needed government. And I didn't know that that just a year and a half later, we would get the ultimate crisis and they would really need government more so than ever before. But, you know, I did everything here in honor of those folks in uh, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. What do you think, looking back over your actions during the pandemic, what are you most proud of? Uh, well, I mean, I'll tell you what I'm most proud of, and then I'll tell you what I think had the two greatest impacts. I think I'm most proud of that we were able, when we started vaccinating people, that we were able to vaccinate Holocaust survivors, and we went to their houses to do so. I think the, you know, talking to someone whose grandparents escaped the Holocaust, whose grandmother was part of the kinder transport, parts of her family were killed in, in Germany and Auschwitz, other family members escaping the Holocaust. The idea that I was able to go and vaccinate Holocaust survivors, uh, I think that's at the top for me. As far as the greatest impact, I think closing the nursing homes uh, as early as we did, get being aggressive with the PPE, we had the nation's largest testing program in nursing homes and ALFs. We were testing them, uh, staff and residents. We got people who had COVID out of those facilities. We separated them. We didn't send them back in like other states did. I think that had one of the greatest impacts. And then when it came to the vaccine, I think not listening to the initial guidance and starting with seniors, which we were initially criticized for. Uh, and I know obviously that demand well outpaced supply in the very beginning, but ultimately both CDC, FDA, uh, and the other agencies, HHS, all agreed to go to seniors and directed other states to do so. So I think closing the nursing homes and doing everything we did in the nursing homes and then su subsequently starting with seniors, I think those were the two greatest impact decisions. Do you think that your work to try to encourage people to get vaccinated was in any way hindered by the, well, the governor's reluctance Every time he mentioned it, it during his press conferences, his immediate thing was to say, you know, you don't have to get one, but if you want one, we got it for you. Was there a mixed message there that went out to Floridians? Well, I mean, look, the data wouldn't show that. Uh, if you look at the data, uh, we are not necessarily better off or no worse off than the other four largest states. Uh, we're, we're exactly even with them, which is we're all hovering around 50% of the eligible population wanting the vaccine. We're also hovering around very similar numbers on people getting their second shots. And the drop-off uh, that we've seen from when demand outpaced supply to now supply outpacing demand is all similar. So I don't know that the data uh, would support that you know, any messaging uh, mismessaging one way or another, quite frankly, uh, has changed where we are, where we are today. You know, look, the governor and I agreed on a lot of things. We disagreed on some things. Uh, and, uh, but the governor always gave me the ability to make my argument uh, more times than one. Uh, and uh, sometimes I won those uh, conversations and sometimes I lost. But he also always let me communicate what I believe the division needed to communicate to stay true to our core message. You know, and we did that both on the vaccine uh, and on masks. And let's talk about your real reason for leaving here. Want to see the kids. What's that all about? Well, listen, when I took this job, I knew I'd have to spend some time away from my family, but I didn't think that my wife and two kids would quarantine in their house for three months without me. You know, look, I, I did not serve uh, in the military uh, and never obviously knew what it would be like to be away from your family for that 
long period of time. But I, I've gained a tremendous amount of respect for people who, you know, get deployed and, and, you know, have to be away from their family, you know, Skype and, and, and FaceTime, all of that helps, but, you know, not being able to, to be with your kids, especially when at that time it felt like the world was ending, was very tough for me. And so I've just, I've just spent too much time away from them. They're small. They like me now. You know, now they run to the door and give me hugs. At some point in time, I know that's going to end. So, I mean, I, I, need, I, need to, I need to enjoy that. I need to enjoy that as, as, as long as I can. Right now, I'm their hero. Soon, I'm going to be the bad guy. And so, um, I mean, that, that's what it is for me. I mean, you know, what the, the, when the governor offered me this job, I, I told him that, you know, I thought I can only do it for, for two years. Uh, I did it uh, a little longer. Uh, my family stayed in Broward. I'm six and a half hours away from them up here, traveling back and forth between Broward and Tallahassee for some reason. Of all the of all the issues that have existed from the beginning of time, it doesn't seem that we've ever been able to fix the travel back to the state's capital. So it was difficult, and and that is the sole reason that uh, that I've just decided to go back home. So what's next for Jared Moskowitz? Private sector, public sector, and how long can you basically afford not to do anything and just enjoy your family? Well, uh, I'm going to at least afford it for the month of May because I am taking the month of May off. I am doing nothing. I'm going to spend time with my kids. I'm going to drop them off at school. I'm going to go to soccer games and football games. Uh, I'm going to clean out my garage and I'm going to put stuff in my attic. Okay. Uh, and I look forward to doing all of those things. You know, obviously I'm, I was in the private sector for 10 years in the disaster management space. I'm sure I'll get back involved in the private sector uh, because the one thing I, I know is that if I don't have a job, uh, I get no income. So I'll have to fix that. As far as the getting back involved in the public sector, I've been involved in the public sector now for 15 years. I got elected when I was 25. I've been doing this a long period of time, basically my whole adult life. I don't know what the next chapter is. I'm sure there's a next chapter. I didn't think that I would have to deal with a mass shooting in my high school, and I didn't think I'd have to deal with a one and 100 year pandemic. So obviously, uh, people have plans for me that uh, I didn't make myself. And so, you know, right now, all options are on the table, uh, you know, politically or what the next move is. But but for right now, I'm, I am really just focused on going home. Agency heads come and go all the time in Tallahassee, and the only ones we remember are the ones who screwed up. But Moskowitz is something else entirely. He's been on the front line of the COVID crisis since day one, and we may never know how many lives he actually saved. Well done, sir. You've made us all proud. Your calendar events on the last day of the session. Well, the Correctional Medical Authority meets by conference call at 9. The Senate Democratic Caucus meets at 9. The Senate holds a floor session at 10. The House holds a floor session at 10.30. And lawmakers will end the 60-day legislative session today. They can push it till midnight if they wish, but they'd rather not. Finally today, a Florida man is accused of trying to smuggle drugs into the Pinellas County Jail using his prosthetic leg. 37-year-old Keith Adams was arrested after a traffic stop in Largo. Deputies say they found him sitting on a glass pipe filled with cocaine residue. They then asked him if there was anything concealed in his artificial leg, and he said no. But during a search at the jail, they discovered a gram of fentanyl and some Xanax pills tucked away in the prosthetic. He's charged with three felonies and a misdemeanor. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics and try to figure out what really happened during the session of 2021.